From 89.7 WUWM Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today we'll learn about Leap Day and talk with some people who celebrate birthdays and anniversaries just every four years. If you don't make these adjustments, then what you call the beginning of the year is going to fall in different seasons, which for most people around the world was was not acceptable. Then we'll learn about Milwaukee's Great Circus Parade and a new documentary that looks at its history. I don't think there's anything like it anymore. You know, it was a spectacular event coming into a town. It was an extravaganza. Plus, we'll hear new local music in the Milwaukee Music Roundup. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks for joining us today. Today is Leap Day. February 29th is the rare day that comes up on the calendar every four years. But why? To learn why there's an extra day on the calendar this year, Lake Effect's expert Nunez is joined by our astronomy contributor, Jean Creighton. After their conversation, we'll hear from a few Milwaukeeans who get to celebrate their birthday today, also known as Leaplings, and others who have a significant connection to February 29th. Once every four years, we get an extra day tacked onto February, and people born on February 29th actually get to celebrate their birthday. But where does this extra day come from? Okay, this is a great conversation because it connects astronomy with daily life, right? So it turns out that the Earth takes 365 and a quarter days to go around the sun, which means that you have choices. You can either say, oh, I'm going to call a year 365 days, and over a period of time, you'll find that you're falling behind. So a quarter of a day doesn't sound like a lot, and it's true, in a lifetime, this wouldn't be very much. But people have been observing the stars for thousands of years, and people all around the world figured out we'll have to make adjustments. And different cultures made different kind of adjustments, but it invariably is from time to time, we just add some extra days so that what we call, say, January still falls in wintertime. If you don't make these adjustments, then what you call the beginning of the year is going to fall in different seasons, which for most people around the world was, was not acceptable. That makes sense. I was going to ask, what if we just, what would happen if we went without it? Is it even necessary? So that's an interesting question because we have an example of what it looks like when we don't make these adjustments. This doesn't have to do with the leap year, but it has to do with using the lunar year. Some cultures don't choose to make this correction. They just say, you know what? We can let the beginning of the year and whatever other celebrations in the year slide into whatever season they come up. So for example, the Muslim calendar is strictly lunar, 
which means that if you add the full moons in the year, 12 full moons, every year you're going to be 11 days short from the full solar year. So over time, your celebrations are going to literally slip into different seasons. Some of you might have noticed that Ramadan can be any day of the year. And I think that's principally because where Islam started near the equator, relatively near the equator, the seasons aren't that pronounced. So whether Ramadan is in February or August makes very little difference. But in religions where they really took off in parts of the world where there's very noticeable difference in the length of the day at different times of the year, that it was more important to align or the beginning, let's say, of the year with a certain season. Does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I didn't even realize how much it plays into our, like you mentioned, daily lives and how it could throw things off course for some people in the way that we live. Well, this might be a silly question, but could we spread that extra time, that quarter time of a day throughout the entire year? It's more complicated than that because it turns out that in modern society, the knowing of what time it is right now is a very complex, sophisticated thing because satellites require it, computers require it, you can't fudge it. So it's important to know, ah, we're adding this amount of time or we're even allowing extra seconds, there are such a thing as leap seconds, to make sure that all of this works tickety-boo. And the moment we start saying, oh, let's, let's be relaxed about it, a lot of our systems actually would fall apart. Wow. And so do these leap days actually occur and take place every four years exactly? Well, there are, of course, in all rules, there are exceptions. And I, I don't remember offhand all the rules, but I think it is every four years, yes. But it's different if it's a hundredth year and a thousandth year. So there's some... There's some micromanaging there of, of years where, in fact, we don't add a leap year. But by and large, the rule is that, yes, we add an extra day every four years. And I do feel sorry for the people who are born on the 29th of February, but I assume <laughs> they figure out a way to celebrate themselves yearly and perhaps have a really big party every four years. Well, thank you, Jean. I really appreciate it and helping make sense of this fascinating day. Thank you, Excaret, for asking me things that have to do with daily life, because I love the idea that we can put in our listeners' minds that the beautiful things in the night sky affect how we live our lives in terms of how we keep track of time. So many of our rituals are around the motions of celestial bodies. So Every opportunity I have to kind of point that out is a delight for me. My name is Anna Flack-Arcello, and I was born on Leap Day in 1984. My name is Aaron Arcello, and I was also born on Leap Day in 1984, and I'm married to Anna Flack-Arcello. Aaron and I met when we were living in New York City, and... I went to his apartment with some friends for a party 
And someone randomly introduced Aaron as a person who had a leap year birthday. And I was really taken aback because I had never, I mean, it's kind of rare to have somebody you meet have a leap year birthday. And he was really cute. And so I've, the combination of those two things together kind of took me aback. And then he played it really cool <laughs> and did not seem that interested in it. I did play it very cool. I think my response was something along the lines of, oh, cool, you're also born on Leap Year. So was my roommate's mom, and so was that guy over there. Yeah, it was too cool. For me, I, I really, I grew up in a small town, and so I grew up kind of never knowing anyone who had my exact same birthday. And so the fact that Aaron was born in Rhode Island, I was born in Michigan, and here we were meeting in New York City just felt like this completely cosmic sort of thing to me. and. It just felt really exciting. I think it, it became such a core part of our relationship story, and it was not something that I, I stopped playing cool and started embracing. I loved, you know, the cosmic kind of romantic quality about it. And the idea of being born on the same day in the same year and finding each other um, means that, you know, we've spent every day uh, on this earth at the same time, you know, not necessarily together in the same place, but we've been on the same and a cosmic journey uh, in life together since February 29th, 1984. And I think that's that's really special and, and an amazing relationship story that we have. Yeah, it's definitely a core part of kind of how we introduce ourselves. Obviously, it's a really key icebreaker. So when you say, you know, oh, I'm born on February 29th, and then you kind of pause and you're like, and so is my husband. I mean, people are usually really intrigued by that and find it really unique and different. I do remember after meeting Aaron, we didn't start dating right away, but I remember calling my mom and being like, I met this guy and he's really cool and he has the same birthday. And she was just like, you have to go for him. <laughs> it has to happen. On the outside of Anna's engagement ring and then on the inside of my wedding band, my best friend is an artist and he designed this um, interlocking 22984 design. Um, so we have that as part of our, and it forms a heart and it's kind of inter interlocked. Yeah, and now we have kids, and I think they are real strong evangelists for February 29th. They're really interested in it, and they tell all their friends about it. They seem, they're really excited, so it's kind of cute. And every time we have a leap year birthday, we definitely go big. And so we'll either take a trip, or we'll bring friends together, or we will have a big party. And so I think that's usually how we've celebrated most of our leap year birthdays over the course of our life. We tried a long time ago to figure out what are the chances of two people being born on Leaf Day. We, I'm not a good enough mathematician to figure that out, but it is the rarest birthday, so. It is. <laughs> She's one in a million for sure. <laughs> Thanks. My name is Christina Land, and I was born on Leap Day back in 1980. My special Leap Day birthday traditions are I really like to play into the number in terms of how many leap days have I had. So this year, I will be turning 11 for the second time. Uh, and an excuse to do something silly and youthful for my friends, we're going to go up to Thurston Bowl and play that crazy game they've got going on up there. We've got some Connect Four basketball going on. And so my main tradition is just getting to do something youthful that normally my friends and I don't do on the weekends. Growing up, my mom was also really into what was the number and what age am I turning. So when I turned 12, 
also turning three. I had a dance party in our dining room, as you do as a 12-year-old, and uh, my mom had a giant banner made, so it said like, happy third birthday slash 12th birthday. So she always sort of played into that, so that was always a fun thing growing up, was that my mom acknowledged every four years that this was even more special than the other three out of four years. On a non-leap year, I mean, we all want a birthday month, and I figure if you don't have a birthday, then you do just get the whole month, right? Like, I'm going to own February for every non-leap year. Um, one of the pros of having a birthday every four years or having a birthday as unique as Leap Day is it's a built-in conversation starter. I, I work in corporate America, so we often have to do icebreakers. I'm meeting new customers. I'm meeting new employees all the time. And having a fun fact about yourself on hand is always really helpful as you're starting to, to do those introductions. So I always have a built-in icebreaker, so that's definitely a pro. I've got a couple of stories about cons of a, a leap day birthday. One, which is very small, is not every website acknowledges that February 29th exists. So when you're putting in your birthday for whatever reason into a website, I've emotionally accepted. Sometimes I have to say my birthday is February 28th because they don't, they don't know and they don't have it in the list. And the other one, it's not legally recognized until March 1st. So being the good UW-Milwaukee college student that I was when I turned 21, I went to BBC, which is now Hacienda, up on North and Farwell. And when the gentleman at the door carded me, he noticed that the under 21 line was different than my birthday because I was under 21 until March 1st, 2001, and my birthday is February 29th, 1980. So I had to stand on that corner explaining to him how the calendar works and that my birthday was real, my ID was real, and it wasn't a fake just because those dates don't match up. So that was a little bit of a con, but it, it only happened once or twice. I think the only cool perks were for being a leap day birthday I've come across is is just an excuse to act immature and blame it on my age. My name is Drew Shackleford, and I'm connected to Leap Day because that is when I asked my husband, Scott Casey, to marry me. My name is Scott Casey, and my connection to Leap Day is that it's the day that my wife, Drew Shackleford, asked me to marry her. I chose Leap Day to ask Scott to marry me specifically because I thought it really fit the kind of whimsical tone of our relationship, but also it's a really old tradition in the British Isles that on Leap Day, women get to ask men to marry them. And I thought it was absolutely perfect. So a few months before, kind of set about researching it, seeing about all the old traditions and I decided to just surprise him one frosty morning. It was uh, really, really cold outside. I remember that, and um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of perfect. It was, uh, it was quite a surprise uh, when Drew asked me. Like she said, it was a, it was a frosty morning, and we'd had a German breakfast of pretzels and sausages. I lived in Germany for a long time, and uh, and then she said, "Let's uh, let's go for a drive." And I was a bit confused because it was so cold. And we went out to a, a special spot for us, a very special spot now, under a tree in a park. And it was 
pretty desolate. There was no people there and I was kind of confused about why I was there. But then she uh, just pulled out a bottle of champagne and I looked at her and said, are you going to ask me to marry you? And uh, she did. I would say that I had been planning on asking him to marry me five, maybe six months. Uh, The thing is, sometimes he would just look at me when we were having a beautiful moment. He would say, will you marry me someday? And he would say that over and over again. And so I knew that eventually that was going to be what we were doing. And I just decided to go ahead and claim my date of February the 29th. We didn't get married on the 29th. And we do have the separate wedding anniversary, but I kind of, I like this one better because, you know, it's not one you kind of have to, you know, for a wedding anniversary, you know, it happens every year. So it's a little bit more routine, but when it's something like this, you know, it's a day that doesn't exist in another year. And so you can kind of go all out. And so I've got some things planned, which I can't really go into, but they don't involve us being in the state of Wisconsin. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. He keeps giving me little hints here and there about it, but not anything substantial. So I think it's absolutely brilliant because, like Scott said, having an anniversary once every four years means that it doesn't happen the other three years. It just doesn't exist the other three years. So we can acknowledge that leap year, then it happens, and um, we get to enjoy that magic very sporadically and October 9th our wedding day anniversary, so we get to celebrate our anniversary no matter what. But we get to go all out on February 29th and really put uh, a lot of emphasis on our own personal holiday, I guess, for us. Jean Creighton is the director of the Manfred Olson Planetarium at UW-Milwaukee, and she spoke with Lake Effect's Excret Nunez. Happy birthday to Anna Flock Arcello, Aaron Arcello, and Christina Land, and a very happy engagement anniversary to Drew Shackelford and Scott Casey. You can learn more about Leap Day at wuwm.com. Did you know that you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Just search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to download and hear us on demand. You can also follow WUWM on Instagram, where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and Lake Effect interviews. In about 15 minutes, we'll hear new local music in the Milwaukee Music Roundup. But first, we'll learn about Milwaukee's Great Circus Parade and a new documentary that looks back on all the glory the parade brought to the city. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. Listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today, the circus is coming to town. It's stupendous. It's colossal. It's sensational. Experience the horse-drawn pageantry of 50 fully restored, hand-carved circus wagons, exotic animals, crazy clowns, and a seemingly endless supply of lavishly costumed performers bringing joy and excitement to children of all ages, one of the most anticipated events of the year, a spectacle like no other, it's the Great Circus Parade. 
the Great Circus Parade happened between 1963 and 2009, most of those times in Milwaukee. Originally meant to be a fundraiser for the World Circus Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin, the Great Circus Parade mimics circus stops of yore with restored original gold-leafed wagons, performers, and historically accurate costumes, drawing thousands of curious onlookers. Remembering the Great Circus Parade is a new documentary from Milwaukee PBS that uses archival footage and interviews to explain how the Great Circus Parade got started and what it meant to attendees. The documentary premieres tonight on Milwaukee PBS, and ahead of that, the film producers Joseph Sankey and Dale Polachak sat down with Lake Effect Sam Woods to discuss the film. Sankey begins by giving a brief history of traveling circuses in the late 1800s that set the stage for the Great Circus Parade. By the time you get to the last quarter of the 19th century, the major circus brands were the Ringling Brothers, the Barnum and Bailey, the Cole Brothers, uh, Hagenbeck Wallace, and other famous names were well established. And at this point in time, our nation was knit together by the double steel rails of the railroads. And as opposed to traveling through the muddy roads with everything being done horse and wagon, you could now load your entire circus onto a train. And the train became the traveling advertisement that the circus is coming to town and to a town near you. And this worked for decades until the last circus a parade in a city, our town was in 1939. The circuses continued to travel by train until 1956 when they, the last trips were made. And around that time in the early 1960s is where we meet our protagonists, Chappie Fox and Ben Barkin. Uh, they would go on to organize the Great Circus Parade. But Dale, what were Fox and Barkin's motivations for putting on this parade in the first place? Okay, so uh, Chappie Fox was at the uh, Circus World Museum in Baraboo, and Chappie was collecting circus wagons, and he was the director of the museum, and he was looking all over on the country for any circus wagon in any kind of shape, and he was restoring them, and he decided he wanted to have uh, recreate the historic circus parade, for, uh, and he wanted to do this in the city of Baraboo, and he was out trying to raise funds to create this parade. And he connected up with Ben Barkin, who felt this was a fabulous idea, but he felt it should be in Milwaukee. And so uh, Ben uh, went to uh, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company uh, and asked them to sponsor it. And we're going to hear from Ben Barkin, his story about meeting Chappie Fox. Well, this character Chappie Fox, who's truly my inspiration, he came to me in 1962. And he said, Ben, if we could, he was the director of the museum in Baraboo mm -hmm. because the Five Ringling Brothers were raised there and so forth. And he said, Ben, if we could do a parade, a circus parade that was really advertising for circuses coming to a town, if we could do a parade the way they did it at the turn of the century all the way through 1930, he said, we'd draw thousands and thousands of people to Baraboo. And I was intrigued. He showed me some pictures of 1905, 1910, and it really looked good to me. And I said, Chappie, I like the idea, but if it's true that you'll draw thousands and thousands of people in Baraboo, you won't have enough bathroom restrooms to accommodate the crowd. Ever the pragmatist. 
when we were working on a documentary, uh, Joe's job was to watch all of the parades, and my job was to tell the story and, and put it together. And so he would come running into my office with all these different clips that he found. He said, you got to listen to this. And um, the clip that we're talking about with the not having enough bathrooms in Baraboo. <laughs> Which and, is a great you, you line. Know, it's so mm -hmm. practical. <laughs> and, you know, there's all kinds of little nuggets all the way through the um, the special. That, But that's just, you know, just a moment that... Uh, just made me kind of yeah. chuckle when we were kind of putting it together. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, it wasn't just the parade itself, which is wonderful in its own right. It was the banter between the hosts over the years and the circus historians and just the sort of side information that they would tell you. Because oftentimes in the parade, there would be delays because you can't have the horses too close to the tigers and some of the horses mm -hmm. don't like the music of the bands. And so you had to sort of like fill. And that's when, you know, all of this side information was coming out. And some of it was just like, I had no idea. And that's when I was like, okay, highlight this, run to Dale. Hey, we got some, <laughs> run to something else. Yeah. And there's something else to add because we kind of knew what we wanted to hit in terms of subject matter. But until I started watching 16 parades, we didn't know how much we had for each section. And then the hard job comes, which Dale did the honors of, what do we reduce? What ends up on the cutting room floor? Yeah. Do you all have any personal stories from the parade? Like, Did you ever attend the parade or volunteer for it? Now, you helped design the sets. For... Yes, yes. I, I, it was a work day for me. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, would start at dawn when I would drive the truck full of scenery to our site and we would put up the set and generally everything had to be up and done for the lighting and the cameras and everything by 11 in the morning. And then when we were at one particular location for several years, I had to deal with the, with the street lights in the fact that the stoplights and the crosswalk lights and things like that, the police would not turn them off, but they would put them on flashing, which we decided was going to be very distracting. And I actually made bags out of red, white, and blue star-spangled banner bunting material that would slip over, and I would have to negotiate with the people who had been camped out there for two days, like, I'm going to be back in an hour with a really big ladder, and if you can put up with me about 20 minutes, I go. And they totally understood. They got it because everyone was in such good humor. There, there was no fighting for space. Everybody had their ringside seat. So once the parade was on, I had my ringside seat and I could just watch the thing because I didn't have to go back to work until after the parade was over and put everything away. How did you get involved initially? Was it something that you volunteered for? No, I work for Milwaukee PBS. It was one of the uh. things that we did. It was one of our summer projects. And as the production designer, I would have to come up with the sets and things like that with a circus-related theme, uh, which still exists. If people watch the show, those, those units are still around, and they're going to be a part of our set that you're going to uh, uh, see Sandy Max standing in front of. Well, over time, the parade certainly had its set of challenges. Um, after sponsorship from Schlitz dried up in 1973, the Great Circus Parade uh, was not held again until 1980, where it was held in Baraboo, um, the hometown of the Circus World Museum, um, followed by two years in Chicago before returning to Milwaukee in, uh, from 1985 to 2003. 
But what led to the decline and eventual end of the parade um, in 2009? Well, you know, I think part of it was funding was, you know, becoming more difficult. You didn't have the big sponsorship that you had early with, with Schlitz. Ben Barkin uh, passed away in 2001, and Chappie Fox passed away in 2003, and I think these are the two really visionaries who absolutely started the parade. There were other people who kind of stepped in uh, as as Chappie and Ben were getting older, um, but when the parade came back in 2009, they had a they had a, a kind of a rainy day fund that they decided to use one more time and have one more uh, event. And uh, Chappie's nephew uh, and another gentleman named Jack McKeithen were the ones that brought it back in 2009. But they were involved in the 2003 and the 2002 parade. But, you know, it was a major spectacular. And it cost about $1.5 million to bring the parade back for one year in 2009. That's a a pretty big— That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money um, for something that basically lasts two and a half hours. And I don't know, maybe— in some ways, maybe this is a jaded comment that I'm, I'm making that we suddenly had a lot more things to distract people, the internet and all of and social media, and I kind of think that you know even in those last years of the parade, we were kind of lucky because you know people still had primitive cell phones. Lord knows they were the size of bricks when you carried them around, um, and now I would worry that. If we had the parade, people wouldn't be watching it. They'd be watching it on their phones as opposed to looking up and seeing. Or they'd be backing up into the 40-horse hitch trying to take a selfie. Uh, I'd do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's kind of what worries me, that perhaps in some ways maybe we've outgrown the parade um, and the circus. Maybe it's considered old-fashioned in these days. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, we're getting a lot of phone calls at the station that the word is out that we're doing this documentary, and people are just really excited about it. They're, it's a time gone by, a time from the past, but they, they remember it, and they want to see it, and it really was a spectacular. I, I think it was funding, you know. My last question, I want to hit on both of those points, both funding and just the, you know, the different world that in 2024 is to the 60s and 70s when this this parade was really going. Um, The documentary mentions that uh, $1.5 million was uh, raised for the final reprise of the parade in 2009. So I imagine, you know, uh, as you as you mentioned, Dale, like having to raise that kind of money every year. Um, was certainly a challenge that uh, that caught up to them, um, especially since this was you know supposed to be a fundraiser for the Circus World Museum to put, you know put this on. But um, this really seemed like a labor of love for Chappie Fox and and Ben Barkin and the hundreds of volunteers needed to stage the parade every year. And uh, Ernie Borgnine, the parade's official grand clown, certainly thought the circus was a way to get in touch with your childhood wonder. And here he is saying that if world leaders just donned clown outfits that the world would be a better place. Believe me, they are all kids at heart. Everyone wants to play an adult, but they're all kids at heart. And that's why I say, if Ronald Reagan, our dear president, and Gorbachev would put on some 
clown costumes. I think we'd have the most pleasant world in the world to live in. As you both produce this film, you know, sifting through archival footage, reading clown history and and circus backstories, all of that, really delving into this parade and what it the cultural moment that it that it was. I'm wondering if you ever thought of any present day modes of kind of like mass communal entertainment. I'm thinking like maybe a music festival, parades that still exist, or you know, even a Beyonce or Taylor Swift concert, maybe even just like a TikTok trend that we're all taking part in together kind of separately. Do any of these fill the void left by the great circus parade? Or is there something that the parade tapped into that has just been left unfilled since it stopped in 2009? Well, I don't think there's anything like it anymore. You know, it was a spectacular event coming into a town. It was an extravaganza. It was something that you could take the family to. It was something that adults and grandparents could talk about their memories when they were younger. Um, And it was something that you just don't see. So I suppose there's things you don't see today. Maybe they're more uh, on on social media uh, or maybe they're big shows, but sometimes those big shows have, have a big ticket cost to them. Uh, but this was a celebration to a city. It was a vision of, of many people, but a vision of two people. And, uh, you know, it was a spectacular that I don't think we'll see again. I don't know. I Except don't... tonight. <laughs> Except tonight, <laughs> yes. yes. On Milwaukee's PBS. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think as... As spectacular as the parade was, yes, there is nothing, I would say, today comparable to it. But we are fortunate in Milwaukee that we have so many other things, littler things, that cumulatively give us a lot of stuff to do during the brief span of warmer weather that we have. Uh, when I mean, we are known as the city of festivals, mm-hmm. and you have the various the various ethnic and nationalist festivals down at the park by the lake. We have the lake. I think it is so wonderful to live next to a big body of water, you know, as opposed to being landlocked. We have many um, small towns and even Madison where they have, you know, a festival season in the summer. There's, there's things to do that families can still do together, but they're more... Each one has its own sort of focus. And so you can sort of pick and choose like from a menu about what you want to do. But there's still there's still plenty of things that families can do together, that seniors can do to keep an active lifestyle, um, that people who are on their own, you know, can do on their own if they want to. And I think we're fortunate in Milwaukee to have that as opposed to probably a lot of cities and towns that don't. Well, Joe, Dale, thank you so much for joining me on Lake Effect and taking us back to the time of the Great Circus Parade. Um, appreciate your time. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having thank us. You. Production designer Joseph Sankey and program director Dale Polachek co-produced Remembering the Great Circus Parade. They spoke with Lake Effect Sam Woods, and you can see the documentary tonight on Milwaukee PBS at 7 p.m. We want to hear from you as we gear up to cover local elections and the presidential election in November. 
You can have a say in our 2024 election coverage by filling out our election survey. You can find a link to that at wuwm.com. What you tell us will help inform the stories that you hear on Lake Effect and WUWM. Coming up, we'll hear some new songs from local musicians for February's Milwaukee Music Roundup. Keep listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. This is Lake Effect on Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. 2024 is already shaping up to be a big year in Milwaukee music. Bands are continuing to turn out great songs, and as always, Matt Wilde has been listening. Wilde is the co-founder of Milwaukee Record, and every month he creates a list of some of the best new releases from local musicians called the Milwaukee Music Roundup. He joins Lake Effect's Joy Powers to share a few of those songs. So we are starting off with a group that I am unfamiliar with, uh, despite their name, uh, Known Moons. Yes, Known Moons. Uh, Probably there's a reason that you are unfamiliar with Known Moons. It is because they are a very, very new band. Uh, Only formed, I think, this past fall. And even though they're a very new band, they are made up of a lot of kind of veteran Milwaukee musicians. So Known Moons just put out a fantastic EP. It is called Everything Is. It's a five-song EP. And the song we're going to be listening to is one of those songs, I know I have one of these every month that I say that I have been listening to nonstop, and this is that month's song. I have been listening to this song nonstop. The song is called Simultaneous High. And like I said, Known Moons is a a group made up of uh, veteran Milwaukee musicians, including Andrew James. People may know him from uh, his involvement in bands like Paper Holland and Flat Teeth. Uh, Josh Evert is in Known Moons. Josh was in uh, the Fatty Acids back in the day and uh, is currently the co-owner of Silver City Studios, which is where uh, this Known Moons record was recorded. Uh, Like I said, a fantastic EP, a fantastic song. Uh, It's just great, great indie rock. It reminds me of something like uh, if The Promise Ring or Maritime were still making music today, this is kind of what they would sound like. Definitely has those vibes. Known Moons have not played a show yet. I believe their first show is coming up at the end of March. They'll be opening uh, for uh, another group, uh, Barely Civil, who we talked about last month. Uh, They're having their release show for their record, and Known Moons is playing. So until then, please enjoy this fantastic song. It is No Moons with Simultaneous High. Lips. <laughs> 
by known moons. The next group we're going to talk about, uh, we've talked about a number of times, Immortal Girlfriend. Uh, Interestingly, I was looking at their band camp, and they call themselves the Dark Knights of Synth, which, uh, listening to this song, I I think feels appropriate. Yep, I think uh, that is a very apropos description of Immortal Girlfriend. Like you said, we've talked about them many times before. They have been around now for a number of years always fantastic, made up of two brothers, William and Kevin Bush. And they have been putting out uh, this kind of, you know, synth wave, slightly dark, very atmospheric, very cinematic uh, synth wave music for a number of years now. Uh, Both brothers, uh, William and Kevin, kind of have side projects. Uh, William does a uh, even kind of darker synth project known as Black Challenger. I know we've talked about them as well. And uh, Kevin has a side project called Mathu. And it's always great when they get together and release kind of a proper Immortal Girlfriend release. And uh, their latest is an EP. It's called Sojourner. And uh, the song we're going to be listening to is called Hourglass. And like I said, it's very, very dreamy, very synthy, very cinematic. Uh, it's got sound effects in it, which I always love. It's got like a revving engine and kind of the, uh, the noise of a car radio changing stations. Again, very apropos because I know Immortal Girlfriend has had at least one song, uh, they've had a number of songs kind of placed in uh, various television shows, including uh, Wednesday, the Netflix show Wednesday, they've had a song in there. So like I said, very semantic, very great. It's great to see uh, Immortal Girlfriend still making great new music. So this is them, Immortal Girlfriend, with a new song called Hourglass. talked about this next group. Uh, It's called Large Print. This song feels very uh, 90s indie to me, a little kind of pavement adjacent. Absolutely. It's got that kind of shambly vibe, maybe tossing a little bit of kind of shoegaze, very hushed kind of indie shoegaze kind of music. Yes, this is Large Print. And it's been a couple of years since we've heard anything from Large Print. Back in 2022, They released uh, two records that were really, really fantastic, kind of, it wasn't really a double album, but one was called In the Clouds and the other was called In the Dark. And uh, so they've been kind of quiet for about two years or so. And now suddenly, kind of out of the blue, they uh, just released a new song. The song is called Dust, and it's from what I guess is going to be an upcoming album called Dreamt Lost Car. All I could find was that uh, they plan to release kind of new music throughout 2024, and I would assume kind of culminating in a full album. So uh, this song, Dust, uh, is, is, is just great. I, I, I really do love this band, and it's been too long since we've heard from them. Uh, like you said, a very kind of 90s, kind of pavement vibe. 
with uh, kind of a kind of a haunting, kind of hushed shoegaze feel. So fantastic! I would uh, absolutely recommend checking out their past releases. Really looking forward to this new release. So this is the latest song from Large Print. It is called Dust. large print. The final song we're going to talk about, uh, it, it's interesting. I wanted to say that it was like ska, but it, it's definitely not ska. It's, it's to me, kind of like Randy Newman or Daniel Johnston met a, like a big band funk group and then started making music. I, I'm not describing this well, but it's an interesting song. I think you have described it better than anyone could ever have hoped to describe the song. I think that's <laughs> It is 100%. I can't top that. So let's just go with that. That is absolutely right. Uh, this is the latest song from Andrew Jambura, and it is called Can You Spell God? And the U is just the uh, letter U, just to uh, just to let everyone know. Now, Andrew, folks will know him for his many, many years of service in one of the, uh, one of the great Milwaukee indie rock bands of uh, the 2010s, Sat Night Duets. Uh, Sat Night Duets were uh, one of my favorite Milwaukee bands for a long, long time. They played from about, oh, 2010 to about 2020 and uh, have been quiet for a number of years. I don't know if they've broken up necessarily. Well, I don't know because uh, Andrew, uh, this is kind of a solo song and he has most of the Sat Night Duets guys kind of appear on this track. Speaking of uh, Silver City Studios, which we mentioned uh, the first uh, song, Josh Evert is a co-owner of that. Uh, Andrew Jambura is the other co-owner of Silver City Studios. So kind of these veteran Milwaukee musicians who are now still putting out music, but kind of uh, behind the board, so to speak, producing other bands. Uh, That's great. So this is a great song from Andrew. Uh, He hasn't put out a solo release in since like 2015 or something. So uh, it's been a while for him, but uh, like I, I got to go with your description again. Uh, Daniel Johnston meets uh, Randy Newman meets maybe it's ska, maybe it's big band. I don't know. It's kind of funny. It's kind of this snarky vibe that Sat Night Duets always had. I love it. I love it. I love it. Is Andrew Bum- Jambura with his latest song, Can You Spell God?
You Spell God by Andrew Jambura. Now, usually this time of year, uh, when we're talking, we're going, well, it's cold out. You know, people are staying in more. Maybe they're recording more. There are fewer shows. In some ways, this is not the case. In other ways, it is. How are you feeling about this time of year? It is very bizarre. On the uh, the day we're recording this, uh, it's it's like 50 degrees. I think it's supposed to be, I don't know, 90 tomorrow. Who knows what it is anymore? Um, but it is, uh, it's still a fun time of year. Uh, I think I mentioned this last month too. It's, I kind of enjoy these, uh, opening months of the year because it's kind of the calm before the storm, before everything gets super, super, uh, packed and busy in spring and then certainly in summer. So I've just been enjoying, uh, going out to a lot of local shows, uh, lately, including, uh, some great local shows at, uh, the new Vivarium, which is the latest uh, venue from the Pabst Theater Group. That is uh, on Farwell Avenue, kind of replacing their old back room at Colectivo. Beautiful, beautiful new space. And uh, saw some great shows there already, and they've got kind of a packed lineup. So I'm actually, for the next couple of months or so, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of shows at the Vivarium. And then just kind of buckling down for the, uh, the craziness of the spring and summer. I have a feeling this is going to be... One for the books for Milwaukee, for uh, for uh, better or worse, it's it's going to be a doozy. So kind of enjoying the semi-quiet months leading up to that. A lot to look forward to, a lot to be uh, wary of. Yes. Matt Wild, thank you as always for joining us here on Lake Effect. Thanks for having me. Matt Wild is the co-founder of Milwaukee Record. Every month, he joins Lake Effect's Joy Powers to talk about some of the best new local songs in the Milwaukee Music Roundup. You can find their previous conversations at wuwm.com. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Joy Powers, Sam Woods, and Excret Nunez join me in producing Lake Effect each week with help from Robert Larry. Becky Mortensen is our executive producer. We also heard from Mayan Silver and Lena Tran from the WUWM News Team this week. Jason Reeby is our studio engineer. Michelle Maternowski is our digital manager. Blair Navarro-Viegas is our digital editor. Trapper Shep wrote our theme music. If you've missed any of Lake Effect this week, you can find all of our conversations at wuwm.com. If you'd like to take the show on the go, simply download the Lake Effect podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. On Monday's show, we'll learn about a new documentary that chronicles the Wisconsin-based Bad River Band and its ongoing fight for sovereignty. Thank you so much for joining us today, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. NPR.